0: Sunday is our third week in a little um, series called um, Philippians Unshakable Joy. We're just doing a quick summer series talking about uh, a joy that the Apostle Paul teaches us about and talks about and demonstrates in this little letter called the, A Little Letter to the Church in, in Philippi. And uh, before we jump into that, I wanted to show you a little story I read. Um, it's hard to tell what this is. Um, this is, as you can tell, I took a screenshot from my computer. You like the play part? I couldn't get the video to work. It's not like YouTube. They had it on like it's. It's actually on the the U.S. Olympic website, so I couldn't I couldn't share the video. So I took a screenshot of the image. But this is actually uh, a video that came across my newsfeed on Facebook this week with the Olympics <laughs> going on, and this is a a, a photo of. Uh, an an Olympic event in 2004 in Athens and this is a guy by the name of of Matt Emmons. Matt Emmons. And Matt Emmons is a a target shooter in the Olympics the 50 millimeter or 50 meter and he's got they call it the three-point shooting really weird he's got like mirrors and glasses up on his face and he was he just got done winning his first gold medal and he is right now At this spot, he's up for his second gold. So you have, from what I can understand, you have either eight or nine rounds. And you can see a little clip of his target right there, so you can see what he's shooting at. And he is is on his very last shot. He's already won one gold, and he's about to set a record by getting two golds in this field in one Olympics. Um, At the time, he was young, early 20s. And as he was getting ready to take this shot, he had scored, out of 10, an average of 9.3 leading up to this, and he's on his last shot, and he's in the lead. So for him to secure his next gold medal, all he had to do was really just hit the target, which he's been, he's been averaging a 9.3 out of 10, so he, all he has to do is hit the target. That's it, and he gets a gold medal. Nobody's close enough to him. And I wish I could show you the video. Um, so what happens in the video is the person next to him takes his shot, and then he takes his shot. You can see the gunfire. And then it's silence. And then he looks over and he says, I already took it, I already took the shot. And they were telling him, they were signaling him and saying, Matt, you need to take your shot. And he said, I already took my shot. But they, they have this camera showing the target and he actually pulls it out and he shows the shell. He says, no, I took my shot. And then the announcer comes over and he said, um, unfortunately, um, number two, Matt, Matthew Emmons, um, shot the number three target. And he was in the number two lane. He bullseyed. <laughs> he got a bullseye on the wrong target. And and because he lost the points, it knocked him down. I mean, don't get me wrong. He finished in like 13th, but it's not first. And he would, he would have set a record and got two gold medals, but he shot the wrong target. And you can watch the video. Um, you can go to uh, type in his name on the um, Olympic website. But... You can watch the video, and, and you can't see the target, but then they show a little blurb of the next target over, and it's got two holes in it. It's got his partner's holes in his. And so we've been going through Philippians, and, and the way that this letter that Paul has written, the way it kind of goes is, Paul's been showing them what unspeakable, unshakable joy looks like. And and to give you a little background of what's been happening is, you know, it's easy to think of somebody who's in a really great position in life to write a letter called Unshakable Joy. You know, like we talked about the first week, you know, him in front of his Maserati, kind of leaning, and he says, like, three steps to joy from Paul. You know, when life's going great, it's easy to say, I'm going to write to you about a joy that doesn't go away. But when Paul wrote this letter to the church in Philippi, what makes the theme of this letter stand out so big is Paul was suffering immensely when he wrote this letter, He was in prison, most likely in Rome. He was on his way to be tried. He would have been beheaded already up to this point, but he was a Roman citizen, they couldn't touch him. He had to go all the way to the top, and then he knew he's most likely never gonna be free again, and most likely his impending death is coming. He is suffering in prison, and he writes this letter about joy. So at first we talked about how like circumstances, how Paul's circumstances don't determine his joy. How God, instead of changing his circumstances, which we think God's always gonna do, hey God, I want you to change my circumstances. I'm in a storm, go ahead and calm it. I read in the Bible that you do that. And then when God doesn't calm our storms, we go, God, where are you? And we learn that through Paul that sometimes God doesn't take away our circumstances because he's using our circumstances to change us. And that was kind of a description. And then last week, we talked about how one of the major enemies of our joy is our own pride. And Paul starts to use as an example the life of Christ to talk about how your relationships, the strength or the foundation of your relationships can often tell and reveal the strength of your joy. Because when we are only focused on us rather than those around us, we get the opposite effect. See, when we're self-preserving and we're always trying to capture our own joy, it leaks out. And Paul shows us this magic trick. (coughs) The way that God designed us is when we pour our lives into other people, we experience more joy than when we focused all on ourselves. And then this week, Paul changes the tone of his letter. And now he actually starts to warn the church. He doesn't, he doesn't, he's not mad at them. He's just going to warn them about some stuff that's happening. But i got to back up a little bit and explain to you what's happening. See, in this one, Paul gets mad. And I don't, I don't, I mean mad. As much as Paul can get mad in a letter, he calls, he insults somebody. He calls a a religious leader a dog. Just so you know, in our culture, that's bad, and we love dogs. Imagine what that was like in a culture where they didn't like dogs. That's like calling somebody a cat today. Terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Terrible insult. But not only that, but Paul even cusses in this next paragraph. He actually drops a bad word. Paul is so serious about this next part. And the thing that he shows us is kind of why this example stuck out to me is, is, Paul's going to go on to explain another area of pride that can take over. And it's so serious that it's not a matter of hitting poorly on a, on a target. It's not a matter of, oh, instead of the bullseye, I got the outer ring. It's so bad. You're missing the mark so much. It's as if you're hitting the wrong target. It's not, it's not a low score. It's a zero score. And he's gonna talk about this next area of pride doesn't just rob us of our joy, but it's, it's it's like shooting at the wrong target entirely. And it's a message that our world needs to hear. So I'm gonna open up us up with some prayer. And uh, would you op- just join me in opening up to Philippians chapter three. Philippians chapter three, and the, the title of this message is Religious Pride Destroys Joy. Lord, I just thank you. I thank you that Paul Says hard things sometimes. I thank you that he was more concerned, even though he was one of the most encouraging writers in the New Testament. He did take opportunity when it was necessary to say really, really shocking things in order to get our attention. And Lord, I pray we wouldn't fall into this lie that, that Paul is so adamantly trying to um, expose. That we would um, embrace the truth that you're going to show us through this passage. The truth of what religious pride really does produce. and, And I just pray for an element of humility in this room. That no matter our place in the religious pecking order. Or how long we've been a Christian. Or how righteous we think we are. That we would not forget our standing before you. Lord, we love you and we ask this in your name. Amen. So in uh, Philippians chapter three, starting in verse one, Paul says, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again and is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Um, Just so you know, reading it in English, it sounds like an insult. Reading it in Greek or your, your native tongue was definitely an insult. So I need to back up a little bit and explain where Paul's coming from in this letter because he talks about going. He talks about the people of the circumcision, and if you don't know what that is, that can catch your attention a little bit. If you don't know what a circumcision is, I'm not going to explain it. So Google no, don't Google it. Don't no, stay out of Google. That's a, that's on the don't Google list. Um, so what's happening is when Paul wrote this letter. Paul was doing a missionary journey. And just before this, in Acts chapter one, when 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 Jesus before Jesus ascended into heaven, he said that you're going when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And it's no secret if you read the Gospel uh, the Book of Romans, it's no secret that the, the gospel of Jesus Christ started with the Israelites. And then it moved into the Samaritans, just like Jesus said it would. Now, a Samaritan is a half-Jew. If you like Harry Potter, it's the mug blood, okay? Um, it's the half-Jew. Jews don't like Samaritans. It's, it's kind of common biblical knowledge that Jews didn't like Samaritans, but they took the gospel outside of Judea into Samaria, and they were leading and letting Samaritans worship God. They were receiving the Holy Spirit and everything. Well, then this crazy thing happened where Peter, who was the leader of the church at that time, he had this vision from God where all of a sudden he could eat whatever foods were given to him, which goes against the Jewish law. And then God goes on to explain to him that there's no longer any distinction between Jew and Greek, and anybody could experience the Holy Spirit. So Paul comes along. Paul becomes the messenger of Jesus' church, and he starts taking this truth of the gospel Outside of Judea, outside of Samaria, into entire Gentile countries. No, I don't, Utah has a different definition for Gentile. Gentile means not Jewish. It doesn't mean wretched sinner. If you're from Utah, Gentile means wretched sinner. It doesn't. Biblically, Gentile just means not Jewish. How many of you are Jewish blood? Excellent, you're Gentile. You are not. You might be Samaritan, I don't know. Uh, (laughs) How many of you observe the, the entire Torah? Excellent. We're Gentiles. We were able, we were welcomed into the promise of Jesus Christ without becoming Jewish. Well, then this thing happened. Sorry about the history lesson. The religious Jews who are now believers in Jesus Christ, they're Jewish. They follow the law. They follow the Mosaic law. They they observe the Torah. And they are following after Paul because Paul's going into these Gentile countries and he's saying, you don't have to become Jewish or follow the Torah to be a Christian. You can be a follower of Jesus without getting circumcised, without observing the Torah, you can just be a follower. And these people were going behind Paul after he left cities, and they were coming in and going, Paul's new to this. What Paul told you was true to a point. Yes, you can worship Jesus. All you have to do is get circumcised and start following the Torah. Pretty much you have to become an Israelite. And you could do that biblically. I mean, it says any foreigner who wanted to become an Israelite, you got circumcised, you start observing the Torah. That's what you did. And they were coming behind Paul and saying, yes, Jesus, yes, grace, yes, faith, but you need to get circumcised. Now, I don't know about you, like, I've done street evangelism before, and that's tough. And in street evangelism, you're like, free gift of grace, all you got to do is accept it. I'd, I'd have to, like, imagine the kind of evangelism it takes to be, like, Christianity. All you got to do is get circumcised. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that, to me, like, I thought evangelism was hard. <laughs> That's a whole different level of evangelism where you've got the knife in one hand and you're like, after church, we're going to have an altar call. (laughs) What? So they were following after Paul. And so a lot of Paul's letters, like Galatians specifically is about this issue. Um, Colossians is specifically about people saying that you need Jesus plus something else. If you read the, the the 15th chapter of Acts, and as it goes into the history of the early church, it actually, they brought this thing called the Jerusalem Council because they said, we need to come to an understanding of this because you think that you have to become a Jew. You think that you don't have to become a Jew, and this is a big deal. To, to honor God, do I have to follow the Torah? That's not a little thing. It's not just 10 commandments, it's 600 commandments. and And it's not a little issue. And so they came together, and what the final decision was, because of... Peter's leadership, the vision, and plus they watched with their own eyes, Gentiles received the gift of the Holy Spirit, they decided there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile anymore. And that Gentiles can believe without becoming Jews. That's why we're here today on a Sunday, which isn't typically the Sabbath. Some of you had bacon this morning, which is totally against the Torah. So that's why. It's because we did not have to become a Jew. Well, Even though this was decided, people were following after Paul and probably the other churches. And they were going and telling people, everything you believe is right, but there's a couple things you need to add to your faith. And Paul was so adamant about this. One, the entire letter to the church uh, uh, in Galatia, the Galatians, was entirely directed to this. You just need Jesus. But then in this letter, Paul goes all the way to the, to the, he goes so far on this side that he actually starts becoming angry, as angry as Paul can get. When Jesus got angry, he would repeat things. Verily, verily, he would just say things over and over again. Paul swears. <laughs> Not a lot, but there's a couple times where Paul, in our, in our in our NIV, in our nice English versions, they like they tone it down a little bit. But if you read it in Greek, he's swearing. And in this one, uh, we'll get to it. So that's, that's the backstory. That's why Paul is coming at and he's saying, uh, there's, there's more that can get in the way of your joy. And in this one, you've had people coming to you and, and to a Jew, to a, to a Pharisee who refers to Gentiles as dogs. We know that from, from Jesus's words in the New Testament. To be called a dog is probably one of the worst insults you can get. Paul is very, very serious about this. Not just as it pertains to our joy, but as it pertains to our life with Jesus. Paul is very, very serious about this. And the only thing I can think is it's not, we think that when it comes to our walk with Jesus, some people, because of their religiosity and their churchianity, they're going to get a bit closer to the bullseye when it comes to their life. Some people, their Christian faith, their arrow is more, ah, right there. It's closer to the bullseye than mine. I'm not as high up on the religious pecking order. I don't pray enough. I don't read the Bible enough. I don't go to church enough. I didn't go to Bible school long enough. And we think that some people are higher up. They're closer to the bullseye. And Paul attacks that notion so much and levels the playing field so much that he says, if if you were going to bring your own religious works into your relationship with Jesus, as, as in God's going to love you more because of this or this or this, it's so off base that it's not that you're hitting the side of the target. It's not even that you're missing the target. It's that you're aiming at a totally different target. You're eating at a target that won't work. So um, I want you to read with me verses three through six. Stick with Philippians three, we're not gonna leave there today, so just keep your finger right where you're at. For it is we who are the circumcision, that's Paul was Jewish, who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, If anyone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, a persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless or blameless. See your first blank in there is self-righteousness is not just missing the bullseye it's aiming at the wrong target. I'm gonna say that like 10 times today. And and when I say self-righteousness, sometimes we think of self-righteousness only in the modern American, somebody who's puffed up. We need to rewind that back to the word, what it actually means. Righteousness is our rightness, I know, deep. Righteousness means our rightness with God. It's right standing versus wrong standing with God. We want to have a good standing with God. In case you didn't know that. I don't know anybody who's like, I just, I don't know. I want to be enemies with God today. We want to have right standing with God. But self-righteousness is when we are adding to our righteousness before God. And what's happening is these people who are Jews are saying, you guys need to do more in order to bring your place up before God. Now I'll go quickly go through what this means because those words from Paul probably didn't mean a lot. He says, if anybody has the right to have confidence before God or or in the law, Paul says, I have more. He says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews of the tribe of Benjamin. He says, circumcised on the eighth day, which means he was born in the church, which means he was raised reading the Torah. He says, in regards to the law, he was a Pharisee. Pharisees are known for their memorization of the Torah. They are known for their knowledge of the Torah and God's Word. So when Paul says, if you want to boast on how much confidence you have, I have more. If you think you've memorized a lot of the Bible, I've memorized more. You think you're pretty high up there? If we want to go that direction, I'm higher. You think you're close to the bullseye? I'm in the bullseye. If you want to have confidence in the flesh, that's me. Then he says, as for zeal or passion for God... He said, I was so passionate for God that before I met Jesus, I was a persecutor of the church. Paul oversaw Stephen, one of the early disciples, he oversaw his, his murder. Not because Paul was a murderer, because he was so passionate about God that he was gonna fight people who, did, who, who spoke against God. So he's saying, if you think you're zealous for God, oh, I promise you, I'm more zealous. There's a lot of people today that are zealous for God. Some people, their zealousness makes them suicide bombers. That's zeal, that's passion. I'm so passionate that I don't, I don't even care what it cost me. When Paul's saying, as far as knowledge, I was smarter than you, I know more than you. As far as zeal, did you kill people for God? I did. I was passionate. And then he says, as far as righteousness according to the law, I was blameless. Which means of the 613 laws that Paul had to obey, he says, good luck finding one that I didn't obey. You think that you have confidence in the flesh I have more. See, the reason Paul brings this up is because we have often in our churchianity, we've shifted the target a little bit. There's this saying that all of you know, and if you love this saying, and it's like on your wall and pretty writing, I'm really sorry. (laughs) uh, uh, I actually had somebody try and convince me that this was in the Bible. Um, If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. No, don't get me wrong. Maybe to a third grader, that's like encouraging. Um, but, but what Paul's saying here is, is we don't want to stand for something. There's only one target. The goal in life isn't to find a target and be like, just be passionate about whatever target you find in life. Paul's saying there's one target and that target's Jesus Christ. And if we try and bring our self-righteousness into it, we're not hitting the side of the target we're missing and we're shooting at the wrong target entirely. And, and, and don't get me wrong. You don't have to go home and like take that off the wall. Um, no judgment here, I just, I'm, I, in my mind, I remember hearing that and I go, there's so many bad things I could stand for. I stood for a lot of bad things throughout my life. I would rather fall than stand for a lot of those things ever again. We need to show people how to stand for the right thing, not fall for the wrong things. And this, this idea that some of us are more religiously higher than others, you know, a couple weeks ago we talked about, uh, in our last series, we talked about having a heart to serve and how in our minds we have a pecking order. Even though we don't, we don't bring it up, we have a, this person's worth more than this person. We don't brag about it, most of us don't ever vocalize that list, but we have a list written on our hearts where we go, Pete's worth my time, but this person, I don't know if they're worth my time. This person's worth my compassion and my love. Who this person, I don't know. And usually it's that, that list is based on some pretty ambiguous things. We kind of write it. But in church, in, in, in Christianity, we have the same kind of list. We have a pecking order, we've decided that some people are more righteous than others. Why are they righteous? Because they know a lot. Because they're passionate. Because they obey flawlessly. And that person must be closer to God. And their target, they might not be the the perfect bullseye, but they're close. And this is the lie that was seeping into the Philippian church. And a lot of the churches that Paul was going to is, is some people, well, if you want to get closer to God, there's Jesus. But then you got to know a lot. Then you got to be passionate. And then you have to obey all those things. And that's what sets you higher than other people. So that one day when you get to the gates of heaven, you've all heard the joke, Peter's guarding it or something like that. (laughs) Peter's at the gate. They're going to open up the book. And that book, which the Bible says that either your name's in it or not, we've kind of turned that into your name's in it plus, you know, how much you know, how passionate you are. And you've added to that book. And what happened is, because of people's own imposed self-righteousness, they started seeing themselves as better or deserving of God's grace above somebody else. Now, what happens to our joy when we do this is, one, you get a false confidence. Because when you obey, you're joyful. Why? Because it's about you. Because remember, Christianity is about you partnering with God, right? No. It's about what Jesus did. And that's what Paul's trying to tell him. And then when we feel bad, we feel bad and we feel guilty because, well, I messed up. And I'm supposed to feel bad because I messed up. Because my salvation is based upon me and my actions. Because I partnered with God. Jesus and I are shooting at the same target and adding up our scores. And Paul is so adamant that this is wrong that he's actually saying, no, you're, this is the wrong target. Folks, the whole point of what he's saying right here is he's saying, we do not partner with Jesus to earn our righteousness before God. There's, a, there's an old Utah saying, and I don't know where it came from, I don't know what faith it came from, but I, I've heard it a lot growing up, is, is the road to heaven is like a rowboat, and you have an oar and Jesus has an oar. That is so backwards. Jesus has the oars, just so you know. And nobody's getting to heaven in a rowboat. I <laughs> Just throw that out there. It's so easy for us to fall into the religious pride that is so natural to us. And we wonder why our joy gets stripped from us. And it's because we're, we, we try to partner with God's work in our life. We try to, we try to partner. One thing my brother Eric always says is, uh, we do good works, but we don't do works for a right standing with God. We do good works because of Jesus from a right standing with God. So the fruit of a, of a person who's following after Jesus is still there, but it's not plastic fruit that we've taped to our branches in the hopes that God will see it one day. It's the fruit that comes from following Jesus. i got to move forward. Uh, read with me verse 7 through 11. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. We're going to pause right there. In your notes, the next blank is, self-righteousness is a fool's gold. Self-righteousness is a fool's gold. See, last week we talked about how one of the tricks of the devil is, is he loves to cause division in our relationships, because when we get divided, we're easy to pick off. And that's why Jesus is so adamant about our relationships with one another and with the churches, because we're not strong enough on our own. But one of the other ways that the devil um, picks us off and steals away our joy, is he gets us to, to value the wrong things in life. Something really, really shiny, something that appears to be very valuable, but then one day, we, we turn it over and we scratch off the paint and we realize that we bought a rock and we gave away everything for it. Um, Mark chapter 8, Jesus says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? See, all these things that Paul had that could have potentially been gained to him, the stuff that gave him a religious value, he says that in comparison to knowing Christ, these things don't have any value at all comparing to know Christ. Now this is where Paul gets a little dirty. This is where potty mouth Paul comes out. (laughs) I'm gonna read out of the NIV. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings because Becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. See, uh, it depends what translation you have. If you have the ESV version of the Bible, I think it uses the word rubbish. I count all these things, all these things that were gained to Paul. The ESV calls it rubbish, which I, I have a hard time even saying that word about picturing Sean Connery, rubbish, but rubbish. This one says garbage. The actual word is the word for fecal matter. Um, The Greek word is a word called skubalon or skybalon. And um, from from archeological digs, they've found this word in like ancient graffiti as well as some ancient poetry. Um, There's a little, is there an emoticon right there? This is... (laughs) This is happy poo. Or chocolate ice cream, whichever one you want to go for, but you're wrong if you think it's chocolate ice cream. Um, see, if you read like a modern translation, they will say that word for garbage is actually the word for like, dump. It's like the word for dump, but it's not. It's not that, it's not happy poo. Um, let me, let me, here, I'll tell you what. If we use the word scubalon today, you would hear it in phrases like this. Um, on the back of a car, you'd see a sticker that said "scubalon happens." Um, if you got yourself in a bind, you might say the scubalon has hit the fan. Um, there's a popular card game in the Navy called Bowl Scubalon. Um, if you are uh, not good with obvious hints, somebody might say to you, "No scubalon, Sherlock." I have to stop saying them. But the whole point is this is not this is not a pretty word. Now I want you to picture picture Paul Paul had somebody write Paul was saying this to somebody else who was writing it down and then they were taking these letters to other people and they were reading these letters. And this messenger had to stand up like I am with you right now and they had to read through Paul's words and then cuss. That's That takes a lot for Paul to make one of his messengers cuss in front of a congregation. But think of this. Paul's the one who also penned the words, careful what you say, only say things that is edifying to other people. Paul, that same guy, is having his messengers read this letter, and in the letter is a cuss word. How serious does Paul about this issue? See, it would be different if they were reading the letter and he said, I consider all of these things to be trash. And they would just move on. People who weren't paying attention are still going to be like focused on their hands. <coughs> but he doesn't. He was getting everybody's attention. I guarantee you, any room where they were reading this letter, they heard that word and they went, Wait, back up? <laughs> what? Did he just... Paul's serious about this. So much that he doesn't, he doesn't compare it to dirt. He doesn't compare the things that we believe add value to our life outside of Jesus Christ to stones or rocks. He compared it to the lowest possible thing on the planet, which is excrement. And not just happy poo. He compared it to a cuss word. And he said, all those things that were gained to me, you know what I consider them? Bleep! Paul's serious about this. Paul's serious that when we miss the target... We're shooting at the wrong thing. And one day we're going to try and present before God in our minds, and our hearts, the, the, the churchianity. One day we're going to say, God, you must be so proud of me. Here is all I brought to you. And what Paul's saying is what we're bringing to God. Beep. And we're setting it down and we're like, you proud of me? That's what we're doing when we do this. And Paul's saying, don't forget the target. I'm going to go quickly through. Everything else in life is dung in comparison to knowing Jesus. Everything else in life is dung in comparison to knowing Jesus. Matthew 6.33, uh, one of my favorite verses, and I know it's Ben's favorite verse sitting right there. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things shall be added to you. See, Paul's speaking to the heart of a people. He knows what their heart is after. When we talk about a joy that doesn't go away, we're talking about the, the, the joy that we were designed by God to experience in him. A satisfaction and fulfillment that we can't find anywhere else in this world. And that, that same trickle lie that's going to split our relationships, that same pride is going to sneak into our own religion and try and tell us that we're something that we're not. And it's going to ultimately steal away that unshakable joy that God has given us the opportunity to experience. A joy that isn't bent on circumstances. A joy that isn't bent on people's, what they do to us. A joy that does not go away. The joy that we were designed to experience. The joy that I picture Adam experienced in the garden when he walked with God. He lacked nothing. And you know, that same lacking nothing is an invitation that we've been given to by God, but we keep being deceived into making something else that joy. And Paul's saying, if your self-righteousness is the source of your joy, good luck with that. What you're doing is you're collecting dung one day that you're gonna say, hey God, are you proud of me? And he says, get rid of that and take the words of Paul. Paul's heart right here is so great, he says everything else in life is dung in comparison to knowing Jesus. Not just knowing about him, not just being really passionate about what you do know, because just so you know, you can be really passionate about something that's a lie. FYI, suicide bombers. Most of our culture, people are very passionate about things that aren't real and aren't true. Pokemon Go? People are flipping out over that thing. Don't get me wrong, I'll probably start playing it one day. I I usually just take a step back and get into it late, but we get passionate about things and you know what? You can get passionate about something that is not true. And And then the last part is you can obey something that is never ever, ever going to benefit anybody. We could make our lives all about religious rules because we think that God's got his measuring or his his ruler and he's ready to slap our hands when we mess up. Or we can accept the same grace that Paul accepted and saying that the only reason I have favor with God has nothing to do with me, has nothing to do with my good works. In fact, I'm a wretched sinner before God. The only reason that I can be in his courts is because of Jesus Christ. And I want to know him. I don't want to know anybody else. I'm not going to lay back on my, my religiosity or my churchianity or how long I've been saved. All those things are deceptive. It's all about, do you know Jesus? Paul says, I want to be know him and be found in him. And that's what really is ultimately going to matter. All the other stuff, ultimately it's done. It's going away. Your last blank is, true joy can only be found in knowing Jesus. True joy can only be found in knowing Jesus. Um, as we close and the worship team comes up, <coughs> I'm, I'm assuming most of us are coming from some sort of religious background. And depending on what religious, and I'm not talking about any specific faith, this is just as prevalent in Christianity as it is in LDS, as it is in Jehovah's Witness, as it is in anywhere. A lot of us think that true joy comes by our obedience and by what we bring to the table with God. A lot of people think that true, true joy comes in how religious we are. And the more rules rules and and legality you can follow, the more life's going to bring you joy. And I hate to bust your bubble. True joy comes from knowing Jesus Christ. And sometimes it's our religion. And and I'm not saying that rules don't matter. Rules absolutely matter. Boundaries are so good sometimes. But if you think that it's your boundary that is going to win you favor in front of God one day, you're missing the target entirely. We get to hit that target because of Jesus Christ, because he hit that target. We just get to rest in his victory. We can put down our guns and we can just rest in the fact that Jesus won that victory for us. I don't know about you, but I'm I'm glad Paul is is adamant about getting our attention on this matter to the point where he's going to drop a bad word. I like that. And hopefully God's got your attention today. And if you've been looking for that satisfaction, that fulfillment, that joy, and how much you can bring to the table to God. Maybe it's time that you say, okay, you know what? I've been going to church for a long time, but do I know Jesus? Do I know Jesus? I know his church. I know his songs. I know who to judge. (laughs) But do I know Jesus? Make sure your life isn't aimed at the wrong target. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you didn't use polite, safe, comfortable words to get your point across. I thank you that your messenger, Paul, one of the most edifying, uplifting, encouraging people who ever lived, knows when the time is right to get people's attention. And Lord, I pray you have our attention today. I pray that we wouldn't be seeking after a joy that's based on what we can do and what we can bring to the table. I pray that we're, our joy is based on knowing you and being known and being found in you. I thank you that no matter what our past is, no matter what our addictions are, no matter what brokenness we're struggling with, we've all been given an invitation starting right now to know you and to trust you and stop trusting ourselves, stop trusting our own strength, stop trusting in the, the strength of our organization or the strength of our family, but Start trusting you, Lord. I pray that we would all reevaluate what target we're aimed at. Lord, we love you, and we just thank you, and we ask this in your name, Amen. Let's stand together as we continue to worship.